Hey, all United Eye for Centers. This is your host, Dr. Jack Rasmus. This is Alternative Divisions. Okay, the topic of today's show will be a year-end 2022 review. Uh, let's look back on the main developments of this past year, economically and politically, for the U.S. and globally, and try to make some sense out of it. And um, maybe... Uh, from that uh, analysis, draw some conclusions as to where things might be headed in 2023. Uh, next week, we will have our show on predictions of 2023, uh, once again for U.S. global, economic, and political. Uh, but today and today's show, we will focus on just trying to understand uh, what's happened over the past year. Okay, so let's begin. And let's look at, um, first, the U.S., uh, and economically and politically. What have been uh, the main developments and events of the past year, 2022, economically and politically? Well, economically, at the top of the list, has to be inflation and the struggle of the U.S., uh, to come to terms uh, with uh, the worst inflation in 40 years. Uh, and as we've said on previous shows, you know, you've got to understand the structure, the composition of inflation. What has been driving that inflation? Uh, well, prices, economics 101, either supply or demand, and actually the even more fundamental causes that determine supply and demand changes. You know, mainstream economists like this to say, oh, supply or demand without really saying, well, what's happening that's uh, uh, causing the changes in supply and demand? So we'll, we'll talk about, you know, that lower level, not just to say, oh, it's supply or it's demand. Okay, so let's look at it um, mostly supply side. I think uh, at least uh, 60% or so uh, supply side, both uh, uh, global supply forces and domestic supply forces. What are those? Well, globally, it's reopening the economies uh, after COVID here, which uh, occurred uh, beginning in 2021 uh, in the summer, and that kind of uh, pulled back, faded uh, in the second half of 21, then we had a reopening again in uh, March of uh, 2022 here of the economies. Well, you know, when people go back to work, uh, they get money, they're working, they get wages, and they start spending, especially if they were deprived, uh, deprived of uh, certain spending. You know, during COVID, you could buy goods, different things. But services, which is 80 percent of the economy, uh, was really uh, shut down. So people uh, started uh, spending a little bit more uh, as the economy opened over over the, the summer here, spring and summer. And uh, that drove up inflation to some extent. But it was overlaid upon uh, the crisis uh, in the global economy on the supply side. Uh, which was the result of uh, U.S. sanctions uh, against Russia and the war in Ukraine, uh, which uh, in particularly exacerbated uh, shortages uh, and gave a free reign to speculators uh, for energy, global energy, oil, gas, uh, and uh, global commodities, of which 
significantly come out of Russia, industrial commodities, metals of different kinds, and even agricultural commodities out of Russia, fertilizers and and some other things. Um, So uh, the war disrupted that, caused supply shortages. Remember, uh, they couldn't get wheat out of Ukraine and Russia through the Black Sea. Uh, so uh, when, when you have that kind of disruption due to war on, and or sanctions, uh, then you've got these global commodity speculators, financial investors, speculators, uh, uh, leveraging, manipulating the shortages and driving up prices. You see, because these industrial commodities, be it oil or gas or uh, you know, nickel or palladium or uh, fertilizer or whatever, are traded in global markets, uh, and you have to buy and sell them in dollars. You know, that's part of the American empire. They've made sure that these things are only bought and sold in dollars. Uh, so, uh, you know, that is one source. When when these speculators think that, oh, there's going to be shortages because of war and sanctions, they automatically drive up the, the futures and spot price of these uh, commodities, and, and that uh, is is a speculating um, uh, force uh, driving inflation. Apart from the real supply constriction, which occurs uh, much much more slowly, uh, but the supply constriction uh, eventually takes effect. So you have a real supply effect, not just the speculators' effect uh, on prices, particularly for industrial commodities. Uh, we still had uh, supply chain problems coming out of COVID globally and domestically, and that contributed on the supply side as well, the shortages and uh, therefore price increases. So you had war, you had sanctions, you had speculators, uh, you had supply chain problems uh, in the U.S. There were problems uh, with uh, getting skilled labor back to work. Uh, uh, that had several causes. Uh, partly, uh, companies did not really want to bring them all back to work. Uh, they brought some of them back uh, and worked them harder uh, and, uh, you know, still had the supply chains, domestic supply problems, you know, the transit problems, the railroads and the trucking and so forth. Uh, ports uh, also contributed domestic supply constraints, supply chains domestic uh, to uh, supply side inflation. Uh, they've only overcome that very slowly in the U.S. Uh, by raising wages to lure people back uh, to work. Uh, many uh, people at or about to retire uh, haven't come back to work uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, be it uh, COVID-related or be it uh, insufficient pay and whatever, or simply don't want to commute anymore. Uh, So, uh, uh, you know, you had labor supply problems in the U.S., a lack of supply people. Uh, In some cases, the corporations like this, uh, like the railroad companies, we've talked about them, are operating only 70% of their pre-COVID labor force um, by choice. Uh, because it saves them a lot of wages. Their wage bill goes down and their profits go up as a result of that cost cutting. And uh, the workers on the job are, are, are uh, uh, pushed to limits, uh, working um, longer hours and so forth. Well, you know, that's the railroad industry. But to some extent, you know, it's trucking uh, and, and other uh, transport as well. 
driving up price. Uh, but then you also have uh, uh, falling uh, productivity, as I've talked about, in U.S. industry, uh, which raises uh, the unit labor cost of businesses, and they pass that cost on if they can, and many of them can and have. Uh, those industries and companies that are in what we call highly concentrated, and there was just a few producers, you know, good examples, meatpacking and bakery products and, and so forth, um, they jack up their prices. They price gouge, in other words, because they can. Uh, and, of course, the oil companies did that significantly until the political uh, pressure rose, and then they reduced their uh, uh, their gasoline prices as they switch now to uh, home heating oil and uh, uh, natural gas and winter and so forth, right? Uh, <coughs> so uh, that's been a, uh, you know, a quick uh, review of the supply side problems, both global and domestic, that have driven up this inflation of the past year, uh, and which is still chronic. It hasn't alleviated all that much. Uh, some, but not all that much. On the other hand, you've got uh, the demand side contributions. Uh, you know, uh, economists made a big deal about how people, uh, average working and middle class people, got all this uh, relief uh, and uh, their savings rate uh, during COVID and their savings rate went way up and they had all this extra money. So when the economy opened up, they started spending it. Uh, there's a little truth to that, but uh, not that much, and not anymore, because the savings rate now, which was 20 25% at the peak in 2020, uh, is now down to 2.5%, uh, which is less than the pre-COVID 2019 uh, rate of 4 to 5% savings rate. So, you know, the argument that there's so much money that people got from COVID that's increased their spending and demand uh, just isn't true. It certainly is not true uh, at the moment. Um, to some extent, uh, you know, there is a demand-side inflation uh, in the U.S. here, uh, not so much because of the COVID relief anymore, uh, but as uh, people have gone back to work, and some of them have gone, uh, gotten uh, some raises at the bottom end of the wage structure. In other words, the low-wage folks have gotten some increases. In some states, they've raised the minimum wage. Uh, and at the high end, uh, you know, the highly skilled, the tech workers and so forth were able to um, uh, leverage their uh, their situation and got some significant wage increases. Uh, and, of course, managers gave themselves wage increases and professionals of different kind. Uh, and what you have um, is at the very bottom, at the very top, you've got wage increases. So the average uh, uh, looks like there's a wage increases of 4 or 5%. Uh, but that's very skewed to the top and the bottom, and in between, uh, you don't have those kind of wage increases. But the average looks 4 or 5%. Uh, but in real terms, it's still well below uh, the 8 to 10% inflation that we had here in the United States. Uh, it's abating a little bit uh, to 7% uh, CPI, Consumer Price Index. Uh, but after massive, uh, rapid uh, Fed rate hikes to slow the economy, uh, they've gotten very little shakeout here, demand-side inflation, maybe 1% to 2%. We're still, you know, around 7%, 8%. Uh, I believe the 7% is an underestimation of uh, 1% to 2%. But let's, let's say 7%. 
that the government reports. Um, if he's got average wage increases of uh, four, four and a half percent, and virtually nothing in the middle middle range, uh, and you've got inflation of seven to nine percent, uh, well, real wages are going down, right? Real wages are going down. Uh, so this argument that uh, oh, wage increases are the cause. Uh, and uh, wages have to be reduced by generating mass layoffs here, uh, and therefore wage income collapse. Uh, it just doesn't hold, right? Uh, it's a collapsing productivity and price gouging because of concentration uh, in certain industries that are responsible here uh, for for the inflation in the U.S. now, as well as global uh, forces still and supply side forces <clears throat> here w- within the U.S. Um, now the Federal Reserve, uh, the capitalists in the U.S., their solution to all this is to uh, uh, turn turn loose uh, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, cracking here and uh, let it uh, uh, raise rates rapidly and high until it breaks the back of inflation. Well. First of all, the central banks uh, can do nothing, nothing about supply-side inflation, whether domestic or global, and they admit it. Uh, Federal Reserve Chair uh, Jerome Powell admits that we can't do anything about supply-side. All we can do is demand-side, and their solution to demand-side is to raise rates so high uh, that it drives drives, uh, uh, employment, higher unemployment, and therefore less wage income, therefore less consumption, and therefore less demand for goods and services. Uh, That's the whole uh, solution uh, that the capitalists have relied upon. Uh, In other words, monetary policy, central bank, Federal Reserve, raise interest rates uh, rapidly and high enough and keep them up long enough till we get the uh, unemployment that we want to shake out uh, consumption. In other words, blame consumers uh, for the inflation, uh, not the corporate price gougers or the global situation and supply side. Blame consumers, take it out on their backs in order to shake out inflation. Well, that's you know historically exactly what happened back in 1980, 81, when we had the other big bout of inflation, right? Uh, it was uh, supply side driven, oil and energy mostly because of crises in the Middle East. And... Um, the solution to it uh, was uh, for the central bank, the Federal Reserve, uh, to hike interest rates uh, to a level that um, pretty much shut down certain industries, particularly housing and, and autos and so forth, shut it down, create great unemployment, which it did, uh, shake out uh, wage incomes and reduce consumption. In other words, make consumers pay for what is a supply-side inflation. Uh, and it worked back then. And what they're trying to do is replicate that. They, meaning U.S. capitalists, policymakers, politicians, replicate. Uh, they, they, they see the inflation today. Well, mostly it's, uh, you know, supply side, energy, and so forth. So it worked back in 1980, 81 with Ronald Reagan. we got to do the same thing. Uh, okay, Fed, uh, uh, drive up interest rates. Uh, and the Fed has been raising interest rates quite rapidly. Um, We've had uh, four 75 basis points, and there was three-quarters of 1% hikes here, followed by a 50 uh, basis point latest hike here. Uh, and uh, it's going to continue. It's going to continue. Uh, inflation is still officially around 7%. Uh, 
uh, and it's going to, the Fed has pretty much made it, made it clear in their last press conference that they were going to continue raising rates and keep them high if they have to until they shake out this, uh, you know, inflation. Uh, now, the Fed's goal for inflation is 2%. Uh, it'll never get back to 2% because the composition of inflation is mostly still supply side, not demand side, and the Fed can't do anything about supply side. So it's going to uh, shake out as much uh, on the demand side it can, which I think will get to about 4 4.5% here next year, 2023. Um, it will never get down to the 2%. Uh, Fed goal uh, in the foreseeable future. So, you know, inflation won't be as bad next year, but it will be significant. Uh, and if you listen to Fed uh, Fed Powell here uh, in his press conference following his uh, latest hike recently, uh, it's pretty clear he's going to attack wages, you know. He broke it down into three areas, and uh, one is goods, in, goods uh, inflation, product inflation. He says, well, that's moderating, and they, they assume it will keep moderating. Uh, I don't think that's, that's necessarily so. But anyway, uh, as the uh, recession uh, deepens here in the U.S., it will uh, keep moderating, uh, they believe, Fed believes. Uh, a second area is rents, which are really running amok here. And uh, for some reason, uh, well, we know the reason uh, Fed Powell says, uh, oh, we, we're not going to do anything about rents. Uh, we, we're just going to we assume it's going to run its course and come down starting middle of next year. Uh, you know, significant rent, hike, rent hikes uh, going on. Uh, but the real focus of uh, Powell was uh, services. Uh, where he says, uh, oh, inflation, you know, is very high in services, you know, uh, uh, personal services and um, uh, travel, entertainment, and lodging and uh, restaurants and stuff like that. Uh, it's too high. Uh, and he says, uh, uh, well, it's because uh, we haven't really been able to uh, produce the uh, uh, unemployment yet. The labor market's too strong, you see. Uh, which is really a cover for saying that, uh, uh, you know, we, we're going to have to whack wages. So the attack on wages is going on now with the Fed. Um, the Fed has raised its, quote, short-term policy rate, they call federal funds rate, benchmark rate, uh, you know, what, four, four and a quarter percent, four and a half percent, thereabouts, uh, almost at five uh, I've always said that if they hike that rate over 5%, you're going to have financial problems. Uh, and they seem to uh, uh, be aware of that. Uh, they don't want to continue at 75 per basis points every month. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Fed, with monetary policy in 2023. Uh, but basically, they'll keep hiking, maybe not as fast. Uh, and they will... Um, wait. They'll keep it up there. They'll wait uh, and see the effects because monetary policy has a six to nine month lag uh, on the real economy. Uh, so we'll see more rate hikes uh, in 2023. We'll talk about that more next next week. Um, fiscal policy in the U.S., also an interesting shift going on. You know, the shift in monetary policy is raising uh, rate hikes. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, you know, there's there's two kinds of ways that they raise uh, rates uh, at the Fed. One is uh, just to uh, indicate their 
raising the short-term rate, uh, the policy rate, federal funds rate, as we said. The other way is to uh, uh, sell off their balance sheet. Uh, Balance sheet is the debt that the Fed has accumulated uh, over the years, Uh, in particular uh, since the COVID began. the debt, the federal, the the Fed debt was about four four and a half trillion dollars, which was the consequence of the two thousand eight nine crash. Uh, they never really got rid of that debt; uh, they kept it high. Uh, and then COVID hit, and uh, they added another four to five trillion dollars to that handouts to businesses and banks. Uh, so the Fed. Uh, Debt balance sheet debt around nine trillion dollars, and they're trying to uh, allow that to slowly uh, uh, reduce itself as they don't, uh, uh, you know, refund it, uh, and that has the re- the result of pulling money uh, out of the economy and raising interest rates as well. So there's two ways the Fed raises rates, you know, policy rate and uh, the debt uh, or balance sheet effect, uh, which is going on now. The Fed is trying to pull tens of billions of months out of the economy, which will keep long-term rates higher. Long-term rates mean the 10- and 30-year uh, bonds. Okay, so uh, that's going forward here. That's policy, you know, policy shift coming out of uh, covid raise interest rates rapidly as the only solution uh, to inflation, which only works on demand side, does not work on supply side, which is most of the cause. So uh, that's that's what's going on. Fiscal policy, uh, you know, uh, they spent, uh, the government spent uh, several trillion dollars here on COVID relief in 2020 and 2021. Um Emergency, you know, uh, everyone got some checks. Uh, unemployment was extended uh, uh, to, uh, you know, self-employed, independent people, workers, gig workers, and so forth, uh, independent contractors. They started getting unemployment. Um, we, we've got uh, we got the checks. We got some um, child care relief and some other programs uh, that uh, were all PPP. In other words, the small businesses were giving uh, were giving grants to the tune of uh, more than a trillion dollars. Uh, they don't talk about that much. They talk about uh, the unemployment insurance. A uh, trillion dollars. Small businesses got loans as well. Uh, you know, that was all fiscal policy, spending, spending, fiscal policy. There were some tax cuts, targeted tax cuts as well. Uh, taxes and spending are fiscal policy. Well, that's been turned on its uh, on its head here. And uh, what we had in 2022 was uh, the ending of uh, uh, all of that fiscal policy. The latest one was uh, uh, cutting off of the child care subsidy to households. Uh, a big effect, uh, and uh, the collapse of uh, Bernie Sanders' Build Back Better bill, uh, which he had been uh, slashing himself uh, under the promise that uh, uh, you know Pelosi and Biden would pass that at the end of 2021. Well, uh, as we talked about, uh, that was uh, maneuvered and, and thrown into the trash can, uh, and that money that would have been spent on Build Back Better social programs uh, has been, in effect, uh, diverted into three bills, three new fiscal bills, uh, money going to corporations. Uh, that's the infrastructure bill, 
Uh, one, uh, the Chip and Manufacturing Modernization Act, which is a big subsidy to uh, semiconductor companies and, and tech companies to try to lure them back from Asia uh, to North America and the U.S., which has to do with the, the U.S. preparing militarily uh, to confront China sometime later this decade, uh, you know, move that uh, key key uh, uh, structure back to the U.S. And by the way, uh, uh, try to deny China access to semiconductors and chips, right? That's also going on. That's trade policy of the Biden administration. Uh, Trump tried to reduce uh, China's uh, technology development by negotiating tariffs. Uh, that failed totally. And uh, now the follow-on strategy is uh, by the Biden administration just to try to boycott and uh, blockade uh, any access of Chinese tech companies uh, to uh, new technology and uh, for chips, uh, latest generation semiconductors and so forth. That's what that Chip Modernization Act $280 billion slush fund uh, that the U.S. government will give to uh, U.S. and Taiwanese uh, companies to relocate their businesses here to the U.S. Okay. Uh, infrastructure bill, of course, uh, was uh, also a subsidy to corporations uh, to try to uh, do something about our, our collapsing the infrastructure here, but that's money that'll go to construction and uh, and grid companies and so forth. That's like four or five hundred billion. Uh, chips uh, two hundred and eighty billion and now the latest third leg of this transfer of COVID funds an investment uh, to the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, misnamed, has nothing to do with that. Um, it's a, in large part uh, uh, energy, renewable energy investment, and uh, a big slice of it uh, is uh, bribes going to oil companies, fossil fuel companies, you know, the mansion amendments. So we have these three big fiscal spending bills, which now target the business subsidies and uh, uh, you know, investments, uh, just the opposite of what we were doing uh, with COVID relief. And a lot of that money was supposed to go to COVID relief and now it's being re-diverted. Re uh, on top of that, fiscal policy is a defense policy. Uh, and, of course, we know last year the U.S. Uh, uh, did its best uh, to um, – uh, turned the uh, Ukraine war into a NATO-Russian war, uh, which in terms of logistics is the case, uh, and U.S. war aid uh, directly to uh, Ukraine amounts to about $111 billion. Uh, and uh, in the new defense bill, U.S. Uh, defense bill, uh, the Pentagon is going to get $85 billion more, $45 billion of which... Uh, is in the form of more aid uh, on top of the $111 billion to Ukraine. So uh, we will have authorized or already spent over $150 billion uh, subsidizing the war in Ukraine. By the way, that money does not, most of it does not go directly to Ukraine. Uh, it goes from the U.S. Uh, uh, Treasury to uh, uh, the balance sheets of uh, U.S. war companies, you know, Lockheed, Raytheon, uh, and those guys. Boeing, um, and they then uh, ship the arms. Now, a lot of the arms aren't going uh, directly to uh, Ukraine either. Some of them are going uh, to Eastern Europe and, and Europe, NATO countries, to backfill 
those countries uh, dumping their old uh, Soviet era arms uh, into Ukraine, which is being chewed up <laughs> and destroyed. And uh, they're going to get to a point where, you know, there isn't much more of uh, those old T-72 tanks from Poland. Uh, and uh, they're going to have to start uh, providing U.S. tanks uh, latest generation. Um so anyway, big shift in fiscal policy uh, went on this past year, just like monetary policy, uh, mostly uh, uh, reduction of uh, co- and ending of COVID relief, uh, increase of spending on those three bills uh, to corporations, and, of course, uh, the Pentagon spending the war, uh, spending Ukraine. And some of that, of course, is also long-term preparation uh, for war with, uh, with China later in the decade over over Taiwan. That will be the precipitating cause, I'm sure. Uh, if we look back on the U.S. in 2022 as well, uh, recession, first half of the year, we clearly had a recession. GDP contracted. Um, mainstream uh, media did not want, and politicians did not want to say it was a recession, six months of contraction. Uh, they came up with all kind of contorted uh, uh, explanations why it wasn't yet a recession. And then the third quarter, we had a, a 2.9 increase uh, in GDP. So, uh, you know, it, it was a short stagnation in the first half of the year with a little recovery. But the fourth, fourth quarter looks like it's going to be low again. We may be flattening out here, and the Fed recently uh, predicted that the GDP for the U.S. for 2022 would be about one-half of 1%, which is kind of a way of saying, well, we don't want to say it was negative, so we're saying it's one-half of 1%. Uh, And the uh, projection going forward in 23 uh, is not much better. In fact, uh, a lot of anecdotal anecdotal, uh, uh, commentary by business and uh, uh, industry that uh, oh, a recession here finally there will admit finally a recession going to occur in 2022, 2023 rather. Uh, but uh, you know, being uh, the Pollyannans that they are, uh, they're saying, "Oh, it will only be the first half of the year, and we'll have another robust recovery in the second half of the year." Well, no one knows uh, what that's going to look like. Uh, but in other words, the U.S. economy not. Uh, growing hardly at all. You can call it recession, not recession in 2022. Uh, and uh, the forecast prognosis uh, for 23 is not any better, in fact, quite worse. Okay, so let's shift from the U.S. economy to the global economy in 2022. What did we see? Well, we saw inflation uh, as well in most of the world, worse than in the USA, particularly in Europe, where inflation... Um, Instead of the 7 8%, the U.S. was uh, 11 to 13%, although it's been slowing here a little bit, uh, as uh, clearly uh, Europe has been sliding into a recession. It's already in a recession. Uh, inflation uh, elsewhere has been uh, significant, and even more significant in Europe, like Argentina, 80% uh, price increases. So what are the causes? of uh, the global inflation, uh, and why is it worse elsewhere than even the U.S.? Well, Europe uh, is paying even more for oil and gas uh, because of the sanctions uh, of the U.S. 
uh, imposed on uh, energy flows from from Russia. So their energy costs are even higher than the U.S. They were dependent on oil and gas. Uh, they've been stripped of oil and gas. Much of it coming from Russia and the U.S. has not been able to backfill that. Uh, but, of course, it's going to and has been trying to. The U.S. has a glut of oil and gas uh, and it just loves the idea that the uh, Russians have been pushed out of those markets in Europe because now the U.S. oil companies are, are rushing into the vacuum, you see. Uh, global commodities, as I talked about, uh, have driven up uh, metals and agricultural prices. Uh, even though some have been exempted, like the U.S. has even exempted nickel, I believe, and palladium, which is necessary for autos. Uh, that comes largely out of Russia. Uh, but commodity prices um, have impacted uh, Europe uh, and the rest of the world as much as uh, they've impacted the U.S. Uh, all kinds of commodities, energy, metals, agriculture, whatever. And, of course, the future speculators, financial speculators, have been playing their role, as they have for the U.S., driving up uh, global global uh, uh, commodity prices. But um Perhaps the, the main reason why Europe and rest of the world inflation has been uh, worse than the U.S. Has, uh, is because of currencies uh, and the de- devaluation collapse of uh, currencies uh, outside the U.S. As the dollar appreciates in value, because it is the global uh, currency benchmark, it is the linchpin of the U.S. economic empire, as it has risen in value, uh, Automatically, other currencies, because they're linked to the dollar, uh, depreciate in value. Well, if the value of your currency is falling, the price of your imports uh, are going to rise significant because you're going to have to pay, use more of your currency in order to uh, buy the level of imports that you had. So uh, U.S. dollar appreciation reduces U.S. inflation, import inflation, and uh, it causes a currency collapse elsewhere, which exacerbates uh, import prices and import inflation in those other countries. Right? Uh, so uh, overlaid on top of that, of course, is the sanctions, which exacerbate uh, uh, the shortages, and the Ukraine war, which exacerbate the shortages. Uh, so those those are the reasons why uh, inflation has even been higher outside the U.S. has to do with the dollar and currency and exchange rates. Uh, recession, well, as uh, inflation rises, uh, you know, the Europeans and others have raised their interest rates, just like the Fed has raised its interest rate to try to deal with inflation. Uh, and um, that slows down the economies. So, you know, the Fed, U.S. Fed policy of of uh, raising interest rates and driving up the dollar, in effect, exports U.S. inflation, but it also exports U.S. recession <laughs> uh, to the rest of the world. And that's the consequence of the, the global empire, right, and the, and the dollar at the center of the empire. And that's why a lot of these countries are trying to find ways of uh, go, going independent, right? Uh, uh, they are looking, and some case negotiating uh, ways of uh, trade trading between countries, emerging markets, China, and so forth, trade uh, without using the dollar, because uh, the dollar is uh, the currency in which most of trade, uh, global trade occurs, particularly uh, 
You can't buy oil and gas. You can't buy commodities uh, unless you buy uh, buy it with dollars, right? Keeps the value of the dollar up. Um, and uh, if the Fed's raising rates and that dollar is rising, well, gee, uh, you can't buy as much oil and gas if you're an emerging market country. So what these countries are trying to do is uh, develop trade uh, between them not using dollars. Uh, Saudi Arabia and China recently uh, cut a deal where they're going to use Chinese currency, the one, uh, to trade uh, oil (laughs) and other commodities from China. Uh, This is significant, and it's going on. In a lot of places, and a lot of countries just won't go along with the U.S. sanctions. Uh, countries like, <coughs> excuse me, Argentina, Brazil, Egypt, UAE, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, uh, China, and so forth, India, uh, are really uh, trying to find an alternative road uh, outside or partially outside the U.S. empire, economic empire. We'll see how that uh, develops. That's more of a political development. But anyway, recession uh, deep, uh, especially in the in the UK. UK is a real basket case here, uh, both in terms of its inflation and recession, and is struggling to find a policy uh, response to it. Uh, the EU uh, also in trouble. Uh, UK even in more trouble than the EU. Economies will continue uh, to uh, deepen, and they're already in recession. Uh, Global economy as well, if you look at uh, what's going on in China, the significant thing was, of course, their severe uh, COVID restrictions, which shut down a lot of the economy. Uh, China's one-fourth of the global GDP. Uh, And now they're reopening dramatically, quickly, and no one really knows the impact of what that's going to have on the Chinese economy and therefore the global economy because it plays such an important large role. Uh, We will see what happens in 23. But it could be, uh, you know, the reopening could be as bad as the the shutdowns. We, We will see. Uh, Fiscal policy, uh, the UE and the UK uh, are also uh, redirecting money they had allocated for COVID relief now to subsidies uh, to households and businesses as the energy crisis uh, uh, has a deep negative effect on their economies. Uh, There was the case of the U.K., uh, a real sideshow there, uh, where uh, the uh, former prime minister, Liz uh, Liz Truss, came in after uh, Boris Johnson was was dumped, and uh, they tried, she tried to increase spending and cut taxes to uh, offset the recession. Uh, Well, the Bank of England and financial investors say, whoa, you're going the wrong way. You've got to stop inflation and cause more unemployment (laughs) and recession. Uh, And there was a big political crisis, and she got thrown out. And now they got this guy, this uh, billionaire uh, Sunak, his name is, right? Family's a billionaire from India. Uh, and uh, he's running the show, but he's doing what the finance capitalists and the BOE, BOE Bank of England, really want, and that's uh, raise rates and uh, cut spending instead of uh, – and raise taxes maybe. Okay, and, and then another outlier here is uh, Japan. And Japan refusing has refused to go along with the rate hikes because they know it will deepen recession. Uh, but their currency has collapsed as a result. They haven't raised their interest rates in order to offset some of the uh, currency effect evaluation of the dollar rising. Uh, so um, 
you know, they have a problem here in Japan. Uh, the global capitalist system driven by the U.S. says, no, Japan, you've got to get on board. You've got to raise interest rates. And we'll see what happens with Japan going forward here. Uh, but both Europe and Japan uh, are following lockstep with the U.S. and and radically increasing their war spending and defense preparation, right? Uh, Japan uh, is really... Uh, you know, an append, military appendage of the United States, and they've been given the green light by the U.S. to remilitarize. And Germany is uh, doubling its uh, war spending as well. This is ominous. Right? Japan and uh, Germany, which are, uh, you know, appendages of the U.S. when it comes to foreign policy. You know, the, the U.S. wherever it wins a war and sets up its bases, it never leaves. And that's the case in Japan and Germany. Uh, so they're going along and they're preparing uh, ominously here, particularly Japan, to rearm. Uh, Japan, obviously, important linchpin when the U.S. goes after Taiwan and China. Uh, and their monetary policies, all of them are raising their monetary uh, interest rates as well, even though uh, Japan is uh, resisting it. Uh, let's turn to political the political situation uh, globally here. Obviously, the number one political event globally uh, has been uh, the sanctions uh, and uh, the Ukraine war, even more so. Well, the sanctions actually began before months before Russia invaded uh, in February of, of this past year. Uh, the U.S. was trying to provoke Russia uh, by increasing the, uh, the, the sanctions in December and January. Uh, uh, and, of course, we have the global inflation effect from that uh, and trade restructuring. The U.S. is bifurcating global trade, uh, trying to isolate Russia and to some extent China and saying, uh, you know, OK, you're either with us or, or, or not to the rest of the emerging market world here. We'll see how that goes. But that's uh, that's ominous. And uh, what's really different is the emerging market countries, you know, in South America, Africa, Asia, uh, are not uh, as um, willing to uh, uh, follow the U.S. and do whatever it wants, you know, unlike during the Cold War. Uh, the U.S. Uh, simply looked at these guys and they did whatever they wanted. Well, no, uh, that's changed. That's different. Uh, the U.S. does not have that much influence as it once had Uh to bring all these other uh, current countries and currencies in line as it once did, although it's still significant power in that regard. Um, and we're seeing probably the development early of uh, uh, independent, uh, separate uh, uh, global trading currency, maybe the one, uh, and uh, uh, international payment system that the U.S. uses to see who's violating sanctions. Um but, uh, you know, the important fallout globally long term of the Ukraine war is uh, not only uh, Russia turning and re -reorienti reorienting uh, east into the emerging markets, India, China and so forth, but um, uh, this uh, growing independence here uh, by uh, key economies. Uh, and countries uh, that simply won't go along with the U.S. because the U.S. wants it to, and they'll play both sides against the middle. Uh, and once again, I'm talking about uh, China, India, Egypt, UAE, Brazil, Argentina, South Africa, etc. 
uh, important development to see. Uh, the other important development politically in the U.S., of course, was the U.S. midterm elections. And the significant thing about that is that there was no change from 2020. Essentially, why not? Because neither party uh, really said anything different than they said in 2020. So not much happened. Uh, the U.S., uh, I mean, the Democrats gained a seat in Pennsylvania, and they lost the seat uh, with uh, Cinema, uh, Kristen Cinema, leaving the party. So they're still at 50. Uh, in the House, uh, a very small uh, margin of uh, majority here by the Republicans in the House, I think five or six seats. Uh, you know, they had predicted a 40-seat change as in 2010 occurred. It didn't happen. Uh, none of this ha- changed much, I think, uh, because they didn't offer American people, either party didn't offer American people anything different than they had. I, you know, I won't go over, uh, you know, what, what the messages and proposals were, but they weren't any different than they were uh, two years ago. So not much changed. Uh, what did change, I think, most uh, is maybe this guy, uh, Governor uh, DeSantis in Florida, uh, showed up uh, uh, quite uh, quite positively here in the results, pulling even Democrat votes here. Uh, and he may be a challenge to Trump, uh, DeSantis versus Trump. That was the only significant development on midterm elections, in my view. Uh the other development uh, politically, globally, uh, Taiwan and China, right? The U.S. is trying to provoke a new crisis over there, um, and it's uh, rushing uh, its efforts to get U.S. corporations to re- onshore relocate back to the U.S. here, particularly strategic semiconductor companies, alert a Thai- Taiwanese semiconductor companies to the U.S., uh, the big big one, TMSC, is already building a big plant down there in Arizona. Uh, and that was the strategic stuff, move it, move it, move it away from Taiwan. Uh, and we have that CHIP Act, that big slush fund, uh, in which the U.S. is going to dangle the big carrot to get these companies to relocate uh, back to the U.S. And the U.S. is probing uh, 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 Taiwan uh and China over Taiwan. At the same time, it's cutting off China from access to uh, various channels for access to new technology. Uh, Trump is still the bogeyman, right? We have uh, this January 6th committee theater. Uh, No real indictment following Trump, right? They won't indict Trump. This is all uh, um, campaign marketing stuff by the Democratic Party, in my opinion. Uh, Nothing significant will be done. Uh, They just released uh, Trump's tax returns. Uh, Big deal, you know. So we find out that uh, he has 400 companies that take advantage of the pass-through provision of the 2018 uh, uh, Tax Act that he passed, right? Uh, 400 companies uh, that get to essentially pay nothing, and I think the results of these tax returns is that he's paid $750 for the last three years, <laughs> you know, each year, right? Uh, you know, the dishwasher in his hotel pays probably pays more than that, right? Uh, and why did he only look at the last five years in his tax returns? You really want to find the fraud and everything, just, just go back even before that. But they're not touching that, you know? It's a big facade. It's a big game. It's all politics and marketing and all this. Uh, you know, these, these capitalists don't don't really go after each other. Um, 
The other big story politically is uh, China and COVID, right? They shut down uh, politically there. Uh, uh, China's response to Taiwan, uh, China's not taking the bait, the provocations in the U.S. that Russia took over Ukraine. Of course, it's a little bit different situation there. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, the Chinese are too smart for that. Uh, you know, they rattled some sabers a little bit, sent some planes flying <laughs> over Taiwan or whatever, um, uh, but uh, didn't take the bait. Uh, but the the big thing here in China is uh, what's going to happen with this COVID, this COVID wave, which is just beginning. And I think uh, certainly uh, will spread out from China to the rest of the world. Will it be a new uh, variant? Uh, well, we don't know. Um, political crises of uh, the past year, well, as I talked a little bit, uh, you know, interesting going on in the U.K., uh, this uh, sideshow, really, <laughs> political crisis in Ukraine, U- U- U.K., uh, Britain, right, uh, where the capitalists uh, slapped the politicians, in this case, even the conservative Tory politicians uh, in line here uh, when they tried to do something, you know, to uh, increase spending, as I said, as the uh, Britain basket case has fallen into clearly into recession now and inflation, and now they've got strikes. Uh, people are trying to recoup some of their losses. Their inflation has been uh, closer to 15%, I think, uh, than uh, you know, the 10 11% that you see uh, in Germany and places, and the 8 9% that we've seen here in the U.S. So uh, it's a real basket case. Uh, Britain's going to end up in an economy about the size of northern Italy before the end of the decade here. Uh, Britain's finished all through uh, even the, uh, you know, trying to maintain the idea that they are a player is, uh, you know, globally is uh, ridiculous. Uh, they will probably orient more to the U.S. and become even more dependent economically on the U.S., right? Uh, and they've got this uh, labor guy, Keir Starmer, running the Labor Party, uh, really a businessman. It shows you how far the Labor Party has declined. I don't know why they even bother calling it a Labor Party. Um, and uh, he will continue the policies if he ever gets in. Uh, they won't have an election there, I think, for another couple of years. But, uh, you know, the crisis may deepen. They may have to have an election. But Keir Starmer isn't going to be any different uh, than Sunak or Truss or Johnson. Uh, so the political and economic crisis in the U.K. Uh, is going to deepen. Uh, it is the, uh, the, the, the weak link in, in Europe, uh, European economy and politics, uh, although they tend to be uh, – you know, among the the most aggressive in their anti-Russian uh, Ukraine policy. Like clearly, you know, in Ukraine, you've got a war there uh, where <clears throat> you've got uh, mercenaries, particularly from uh, you know Britain and Poland, and you've got uh, experts, military, uh, running and operating the advanced uh, uh, missile system and artillery systems uh, in Ukraine on behalf of uh, Ukraine against the Russians and NATO, particularly uh, Poland and UK, uh, are deeply involved on the ground there. Uh, the U.S. Uh, 
a little less so probably, uh, although we, uh, the, the U.S. sent, uh, I think, the 82nd Airborne there, or maybe 101st, I forget which one, uh, to Romania to protect Odessa if it's ever necessary. And then the U.S. Uh, is, you know, its satellite system uh, and its uh, AWAC systems and other uh, systems here uh, are monitoring everything that goes on by the Russians uh, here very clearly. Uh, and uh, uh, without that assistance, uh, you know, Ukraine would have capitulated long ago, long ago. The U.S. does not want an end to this crisis. Uh, they see it as a uh, uh, resurrection of uh, what was uh, Brzezinski 1.0. Remember that? 1980, Brzezinski, the big new Brzezinski, who was the uh, national security advisor to uh, President Carter. Uh, he and Carter got together in 79 and said, let's disrupt uh, the Afghan, new Afghan civil government uh, and lure the Russians in. And then we will arm uh, the opposition uh, and will just uh, bleed uh, Russian military and economically, which is what happened. It was very successful, P- perhaps the only successful foreign policy initiative uh, by the Carter administration. You know, remember Carter, uh, you know, the Panama policy, the uh, Iran, uh, Iran hostage uh, invasion and uh, Central America. The whole thing it was a disaster. Carter was a disaster, but not this policy, Brzezinski 1.0. Uh, and how do I know this is true? Well, Brzezinski said it was true in his memoirs here. Uh, and uh, the U.S. is trying to seize, seize the same policy and uh, – you know, the idea was uh, to lure Russia in, provoke the crisis, and then arm the opposition to great profits for the U.S. military-industrial complex, uh, and keep it going to debilitate Russia militarily, economically, until the Putin regime uh, collapsed. And uh, the U.S. does not want an end to that. Uh, Zelensky does not want an end to that, right? If he did, he'd probably get assassinated by his own people. Uh, and, of course, uh, Putin and Russia now uh, uh, cannot end it. Uh, they've annexed uh, those four provinces. They're part of Russia. It'd be like giving up uh, California and Washington and Oregon. Uh, so uh, they can't do that now. Uh, so this crisis is going to go on and on. And there's going to be a big Russian offensive here. Uh, that's news of this past year and certainly will be news of next year, uh, probably before the winter is over. And we'll see what happens uh, as a result of that. But we can expect a further escalation on both sides in Ukraine, which is very, very dangerous. Right? And there won't be any negotiations. The U.S. doesn't want it. Zelensky doesn't want it. Uh, Putin can't want it. Uh, so this thing uh, is going to be at the top of the news politically, globally, in uh, next year as well as this year. Uh, We'll watch that closely. Uh, you know, uh, in last January 2022, I wrote a piece called 10 Reasons Why the U.S. May Want Russia to Invade Ukraine. I suggest you go back and read it if you if you haven't on my blog, jackrasmus.com. Also, it was on Counterpunch and a few other places. Um, and I'll be writing a follow-up to that. Uh, you know, assessing uh, the, the Russian uh, SMO special military operation and how uh, that did not succeed. And now we're uh, moving to a higher, more aggressive, deeper phase of the war, uh, which probably will suck in uh, NATO uh, even further here. Um, 
maybe even in Belarus, you know, into Ukraine, uh, this thing is going to get worse. Uh, and that's the big news of 2022 globally, both economically and politically. Uh, and it probably will be so going forward this this year in 2023 as well. And we will keep tracking that. And I will be writing a follow-up article in January to my last January article. Uh, okay, so uh, these are the global uh, political issues, I think, that stand out for this past year. Uh, once again, to recap, uh, the Ukraine war, obviously, at the top of the list, uh, the phony U.S. midterm elections, uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, China provocation over Taiwan, which uh, fortunately did not uh, escalate. Uh, Chinese did not take the bait. Uh, the January 6th uh, uh, theater here, political theater going after Trump, the bogeyman. He's a good election uh, uh, issue here. Uh, you don't want to kill it because it's too good an election issue, right? Uh, and then uh, what happened in China with COVID, uh, the shutdown, and now the rapid uh, reopening uh the uk political crisis right and uh, uh europe what's going on in europe with regard to the war uh in ukraine and the economy these are the big issues i think of 2022 uh, and they'll not go away and uh, neither going away we will see will be uh, the global economic issues inflation will still be with us um, maybe uh, not as uh, severe as the recession deepens in the U.S. and globally as well, as the Fed continues to hike rates um, and uh, the U.S. will continue its uh, shift in fiscal policy uh, as it maintains its monetary policy as the the main lever for dealing with uh, demand inflation, which won't have much effect on supply-side inflation. Uh, going forward, we will see an abatement of inflation down to about 4%, I think, at the expense of significant uh, unemployment and recession uh, in the U.S. But uh, we will have both. We will have recession uh, and continuing chronic inflation for some time uh, going forward. Okay, uh, that's pretty much my uh, my review of 2022. As I said at the beginning of the show, uh, next week I'll step out and make some uh, uh, risky predictions as to where things are going. But, you know, economists need to make predictions. Uh, otherwise, what, what the hell are they good for? You know, most economists like to forecast the present uh, and not the future. And that goes for politics as well. So uh, we'll, we'll uh, step out and make some uh, dramatic uh, uh, analysis for where, where are we going 2023 next week so uh, make sure you join us for that show okay that's it i'm out of here